Hello. Hey. So I'm in the midst of research for our next episode. All right. So the, consider this a teaser. Ooh, okay. Gonna, <laughs> gonna give us a little sneak peek. Yes. All right. Next week, we'll be covering the life and times of one Huey Long, who has been mentioned on this show before. Yeah, he's, a, he's quite the character, from what I remember. He's fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and in the spirit of that, I would like to ask you a trivia question. Ooh, all right. Let's do it. I'm ready. Like certain popular politicians today, he was known for coming up with creative and insulting nicknames for people. Uh, <laughs> all right. So Lion Ted and all that. Yes. I'm going to read you four nicknames. You are going to guess the fake. The fake one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Turkey head. <laughs> Whistle britches. Corn cob. And feather duster. <laughs> oh, man. I'm just imagining what people do to get called these. <laughs> I think whistle britches is for real. That sounds, that's a good one. If mm -hmm. it's not for real, I'm going to start calling people that. <laughs> well, uh, what would make someone be called a whistle britch? Whistle britches is somebody who's like... Like they talk a lot of game? I guess, or it's someone who like is very... I would imagine there's some... This, I'm making this up. I have no idea. But <laughs> it sounds like someone who's like uh, brash or like... Mm. They make an entrance when they come in, you know? You hear them. Oh, yeah. Whoosh, you know? Could be like a flashy dresser. Oh, yeah. True, true. All right. I'm going to guess that Feather Duster is fake. Corn cob was fake. Corn cob. Okay. That one's a Christine original. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like looking at the list and like, these all sound kind of vaguely country, so... Yeah. <laughs> go yeah. with corn cob. <laughs> All right. I well, can't wait to hear more about him next week. <laughs> yeah, he's a fucking weirdo. <laughs> uh, all right. So what are we getting into today? We are going back into ye old mailbag. Nice. We're going to take a look at what people have been asking us and respond as best yeah. we can. <laughs> That's the plan, anyway. First, we have a question from Crichton. Maybe Creighton, not sure. And they ask, in the first episode, when Grady finishes up explaining the end goal of communism, according to Marx, a utopian society in which everyone can do whatever they please, he says that this lines up the left side of the political scale. Mm -hmm. Now, I think the political spectrum has more than just two sides, but when people say left, I tend to think liberal slash socialist and eventually communist because that's what I've been conditioned to think. That's a fair point. Okay. When I think of the right side of the scale, I think of libertarian slash conservatives, but I know libertarians tend to be moderate. Depends on your, your stripe. Okay. Yeah. If the end goal of communism, according to Marx, is utopian society in which there is no government, wouldn't it then be the ideal libertarian society? And wouldn't that mean it would fall into the, like the northmost section of that political scale? And they talk about how like they took one of those quizzes in like their AP government class in high school. And, yeah. you know, it's that classic scale that we think of where left is liberal, right is conservative. What is it? Up is authoritarian. Yeah. So up usually in like your classic political compass up is going to be yeah, authoritarian or like more powerful government. Mm -hmm. And then down will be less. But I think they mentioned in the in, in the question that the one they took, 
the y-axis was flipped. That's called a Nolan chart. Where Oh, I didn't see that. It's less government mm. at the top and then more government at the bottom. Okay, yeah. But yeah, this is a great question. Basically, how the heck is communism <laughs> and libertarianism, how are those even, you know, actually seemingly similar? Because you're right, you, you think of libertarians as, as on the right side of the political spectrum and I guess in, in this compass sense, mm-hmm. just in a different area. The scale we're talking about, usually we call it the political compass. It's also called the Nolan chart. Like I said, if it's uh, flipped the way you said it was with, with libertarian at the top, there's a few different c- configurations. But basically you have an X and a Y scale. Mm-hmm. And this kind of allows you to very roughly, crudely uh, map <laughs> somebody's political views. Yeah. And different ideologies, you can say, well, it's over here, it's over there. So the x-axis is like liberal and conservative or left-wing, right-wing. It's pretty mm-hmm. intuitive. It's economics. Okay. So the left is like socialist, you know, communist, uh, more worker control or egalitarian, more so than like individual property rights. Mm-hmm. And then the right side is capitalist, so it's like vice versa, more property rights versus that. Yeah. And then the y-axis can actually measures a couple different things. We mentioned the government one. Mm-hmm. So strong government versus weak or no government. But it also a lot of times is a measure of like traditionalist or like nationalist sort of views, uh, especially in regards to like maybe personal freedoms, people sometimes call it in terms of speech or religion or uh, mm-hmm. the rights of the queer community. Those all strangely get kind of, and I think those can be <laughs> separate things, but they get lumped into the y-axis too. Yeah, I mean, that's how you get people who say they're, like, fiscally conservative and socially liberal. Yeah, you end up end up with, like I said, kind of a crude tool for picturing the different political ideologies. It's very op- oversimplified. It does the job. You know, it's it helps people to kind of, yeah, figure things out. It's not perfect, for sure. But let's get back to the question of, the, of, of communism. Communists, right? We all want a classless, a stateless, a moneyless society. No hierarchies, no private property. You can have your personal shit, but like no owning factories, owning restaurants and making people Mm -hmm. work for you and taking the profit. That sort of thing. That's our end goal. And like anarchists, that's their same end goal too. Yeah, I think this gets into that age old distinction literally episode one of the podcast is the difference between socialism and communism because to me i i think it's like a weird curve or something i'm gonna make a crazy shape on this graph i feel like (laughs) we're like the far left would instead just be straight up socialism or like i guess the far left in the top like where you do have a state yeah you have a state basically yeah you're thinking what we call authoritarian left which would be Mm -hmm. A strong Marxist-Leninist worker state doing things to oppress the bourgeoisie and eventually get past that and wither away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a Marxist-Leninist idea of, of that that we've covered in State and Revolution, for example, that starts in that like quadrant that is strong government and leftist economy. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, when it withers away, it ends up in the in the other quadrant, the bottom left quadrant in the traditional scale. Uh, which is the libertarian left side. Yeah. All right. So it ends up in the in the commune, in the anarchist, no state situation. 
Yeah, and that's not to say the revolution is going to be like, we hate gay people. Because again, like, it's a lot more complicated than just like yeah. traditional conservatism versus like liberal, I guess, identity politics values. It's it's more that there's more rules, basically. Yeah, it's, um, I think of it as more of a more powerful government versus, or more centralized government versus decentralized local stuff. But you see yeah. a lot of in online communities and stuff that just when you go north on the political spectrum, especially on the right side, it just gets like, you know, you hate minorities and stuff. It's, it's messed yeah, up. Yeah, that's what happens. But what we're talking about is basically just two, mm, I think, two roads to get there, right? Like anarcho-communists, mm-hmm. they don't want to bother with the, with the transitional worker state. They want to like just jump straight to it. So they're like always in that libertarian left area so they're always that end goal that's where they want to start from day one and stay there's no move on the graph for them right yeah and ultimately that's what we're talking about with communism is we eventually get there regardless of what road you want to take (laughs) that's yeah that's the point we we end up there and then that's why it's kind of it can be confusing especially from the americans perspective uh, how the term libertarian is used for us me always means Mm. like right wing yeah Libertarian. Yeah. So it's talking about the people in another part of the compass, another quadrant, they're, they're the right wing libertarians. And the reason they're different is because they do support like capitalism. That's why they're on the right side. They support mm-hmm. private property rights over egalitarianism. Yeah. I remember when we watched Manufacturing Consent, they described Noam Chomsky as libertarian. And I was like, mm, am I going to like this guy? But like, I, I like the guy, but, <laughs> but it was like because of the connotation that I have in the states, it's it it is a scary term. <laughs> yes, and it's just strange, I guess, to the rest of the world that we have that way of looking at it. But libertarianism just classically meant that you just you were actually more in the left libertarian side. But as we use it, it. it it tends to mean the right wing guys, which are like pro capitalists. So they still want bosses. Mm-hmm. They still want wage labor. They still, you know, want it to be where one guy can rip off everybody else. You know, they're, they're okay. Yeah. They're cool with like weed or like trans rights or <laughs> they love weed. You know, maybe they don't <laughs> like foreign wars or the government surveilling you. But uh, mm-hmm. so we, I mean, like, we're not complete enemies. These guys can sometimes be, yeah. like, you know, you'll be like agreeing with them with some shit. Sure. I mean, my husband used to be a libertarian. That was our very first fight. <laughs> he bought me Jimmy John's to apologize and flowers. Uh, to apologize for being <laughs> a libertarian? No, for getting into a fight over it. But, you know, we I got him eventually. He's a socialist now. We're good. Nice. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the big difference is, and that's why it seems confusing is when you think libertarian, you're thinking these very, I mean, kind of hyper-capitalist people mm-hmm. who, you know... In many ways, the reasons they don't like the government is because they think it's doing too much for people. You know, like, oh, it's doing these welfare programs or what have you. I mean, this is (laughs) a big generalization, but fuck it. (laughs) I find the libertarians that I've interacted with tend to come from that place from not understanding the connection between things like things that they claim to be in support of, like, you know, gay rights, like black people, like all these mm-hmm. things, they don't realize the connection between that and capitalism. So they think that you can separate that. A lot of liberals do this too, oh, yeah, honestly. Yeah. Like most, like all liberals, <laughs> most of them. But yeah, and a lot of it comes from not being exposed to like that kind of 
ideas like of being like, oh yeah, like I guess that is pretty fucked up or like not realizing how difficult it is for, for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hopefully that clears that up a little bit. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Creighton. I hope we're saying your name right. Next is a question from Mark and he asks, I had a friend who is a ceramic artist talk about how communism would crush artisanal art. Basically their friend is concerned that if we're past using currency, how do you deal with people making art Mm. in the sense that like if everyone wants, you know, a cup and it's just one person making it, they couldn't give everyone a cup. Okay. He's really referring more to the craft arts, things that take a really long time to master, you know, very artisanal shit. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, he basically just wants to know how would you combat this argument? I think for me, it again comes down to maybe a fundamental misunderstanding of like the term communism. Like it's not necessarily everyone gets exactly the same thing, right? It's not like (laughs) we all go up to the replicator and we all get our little portion of gruel. Yeah. It's not barracks communism or not like, yeah, in drab gray suits and (laughs) eking out a living. What did you think? Well, uh, the interesting thing here I thought was like, okay, I guess, yeah, you won't get everything you want. Even if we do have like replicators, total communism style, Mm -hmm. you can get one exactly like the one that the guy makes. (laughs) That's true. But if your real interest is getting like the artisanal, authentic, handmade one that the guy actually made. Yeah, the guy can't make all. But the thing is, like, the, he can't do that under capitalism. Like, we already have a limit to yeah. like, how many cups the guy can <laughs> produce. The only difference is that it's decided by who has enough money to get his cup. So we already have scarcity. It's just decided on by money. And it's also decided on who has the time to be a ceramics artist and the funds. Like, that's, that's an True. expensive hobby to get into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think... This also kind of raises a question, like, I get that particular quibble that, okay, yeah, not everybody's going to get to get every little thing, but again, okay. Uh, <laughs> That's life. <laughs> uh, but I guess the broader question is, how does, how would communism crush artists or artisans' art in general? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, they can, st- like, they're, like you said, they're more free to make their art it's lower barriers to entry they have all the material benefits of being a full member of the commune like instead of figuring out how am i going to like make enough money to survive while doing this thing yeah i'm super curious about this particular artist's definition of of crush versus like success because Mm -hmm. i i can kind of see some of this argument like as as an artist who wants their work to be seen widely I could see how whenever we talk about communes, we do talk about it in these super hyper localized terms. Okay. And like, maybe that's some of my own ego and I should be like, okay, yeah, not everyone has to read my book. Yeah. Everyone has to read my book, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I will be, I will never shut up about it whenever it comes out. You will. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but I mean, like, it is kind of hard to let go of is like what you uh, have envisioned of as success is like, oh, everyone wants one of my ceramics pieces. Mm. Everyone wants one of my books, one of my whatever it is. My Everyone has seen my play. I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. But I think it's we talked about this with sports, too. I think it's about like kind of shifting those expectations away from like fame and more to like satisfaction. Yeah. And to build on that, maybe it's also shifting away from how you experience art in terms of owning it 
versus mm-hmm. like not okay like because let's think about society then moving away from the artist like well of course we're not going to chain them to the kill until they've made enough you know cups. <laughs> everyone has to have a cup if we want to imagine that you did make it big enough to where everybody wants your cups everybody wants your books or whatever everyone wants that particular thing okay we don't have to make seven billion of them unless everyone also wants to destroy those things or use them at the same time like everyone pull your cup right so so like you could share cups just make some of the cups put them in museums libraries yeah put them in a library uh make enough for your local community like your artisan cafe tea room you reserve a table Mm -hmm. and you get to drink from the artisan cups Ooh, that's a you know, great like, idea. There's ways of communally using things without consuming them or needing seven billion of them at once. That's a great idea. I like I like that shift. And I think it's a shift from like everyone in the whole world sees it to like people in my community really connect with this kind of thing. And like we'll still have the internet, so like people can still see your cups online. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just and I think that's important more broadly for thinking about what the future communist utopia society would look like is Mm -hmm. you run up against this question of like okay if we have replicators and or we have some way to endlessly produce enough for everybody like aren't we gonna fuck stuff up and we will have to like change a bit from everybody having all these like yard equipment things in their garage or whatever or everybody (laughs) having a car or these things that like you don't need most of the time to like yeah. just kind of using them when you need to. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be a crazy transition. Like ever we're going to have a crazy estate sale situation <laughs> just like, all right, everyone put your shit out in the yard. We're going we're going to sort through divide it up into yeah, community <laughs> garages or whatever. Here's all the pianos. They're just going to be libraries but cups. a thing sort of, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've heard about this uh, this the way of conceiving of this as library socialism, which I kind of like as a term. That's cute. I love that. <laughs> as someone who took a lot of library classes in high school i like that library aid gang dude it was great <laughs> you just do homework and read manga That's fun. <laughs> it's the shit <laughs> all right thanks to mark for that question yeah thank you i love thinking about art and utopia it's like my shit <laughs> all right next we have a wonderful username here alcohol dumpster phd on instagram <laughs> well you know got their doctorate in something <laughs> yeah you know, study what you know. <laughs> uh, and they want to know if we could talk a little bit about the October 15th general strike that's been floating around on the internet. Yeah, I'd love to know more about this. I, I did a little bit of Googling, but not much. I, I've mostly just seen it floating around. Mm-hmm. So what's going on? Uh, so I, I did some of the same thing. I found their website, octoberstrike.com. <laughs> Catchy. Yeah. And... There's not a ton of it online. There's, their website was very scarce. Yeah. It was very vague, too. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't attributed, really, to any particular person. Uh, they're very vague about their organization. Yeah. Or who they were working with. Uh, and so that didn't make me very hopeful. Uh, yeah, I had kind of a similar reaction. Like, every time I have seen something about it online, it's always been in the context of just, like, do this thing. And like, there's no follow up information. There's no like, yeah, there's no organization to get into contact with. There's no like continuing actions. Like, mm-hmm. it was just kind of like, like, I had a very basic question when I read it. I'm like, do we keep going? Is it just one day? Like, <laughs> it does say on there to keep going because I think it says, oh, okay. uh, it says 
refrain from going to work starting on oh i read it as just one day okay got it got it got it uh and they i mean they have like a list of demands too they're kind of milk people who are curious. i mean they were fine don't get me wrong they were fine demands but they weren't like 25 percent corporate tax rate with no loopholes free health care for all 12 weeks paid paternity and maternity leave 20 dollar minimum mm-hmm. wage four-day work week stricter environmental regulations on corporations That's- so vague well they do say ban on single use and microplastics and limited emissions limited that's not enough uh (laughs) and there you go those are the goals (laughs) sorry i'm very mean no i just and i i've also seen in like the comments of these sorts of posts like okay you can't just like say strike and then just not do anything else like it just feels like a very online sort of thing uh yeah yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, hundred percent. If like it says, okay, yeah, abstain to going into work starting on October fifteenth. Don't participate in economic activity starting on October fifteenth, and then contact your local representatives to express your demand. And it's just like, Whoops. what's that going to do? Yeah, like you're right. You can't just. This cannot be the way that we organize. If we're gonna go the anarcho-syndicalist route of doing. Mm-hmm the general strike right we've talked about that on the show before this is this is the one we all go out there we (laughs) shut capitalism down and we take power for the workers for the people we would have to be like doing we would okay we would have to have already done successfully massive unionization drives yes and we would have to have done like a ton of mutual aid prep of like all right we gotta start stockpiling food yeah. when we can't do any economic activity and we don't have jobs yeah okay you're <laughs> even if you have the money if you've built up a strike fund the capitalists are going to shut you out when you are at war with them mm-hmm. and you've declared it like they're going to be like fine dude you can't come in here and buy things because you're going to give it to the to the strikers and, and like you have to be prepared basically to wage siege warfare. It's not the march on Washington. It's not a it's not a protest march. Like you're trying to take power from the enemy. I okay, this part's also a little bit weird to me, the fact that there isn't any sort of like outward like not necessarily that there would have to be a march for this to be a strike cuz that's like not how strikes work. But like I would expect some sort of demonstration or something to go along with this. It is very just like stay home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that part doesn't. It's it fine, doesn't make I sense guess. either way because I think the reason they're not doing that is because this is not going to pan out. They don't think, and <laughs> or they're waiting to make sure they have a critical mass of people to say, "Okay, this is where we show up." Yeah, <laughs> if this thing fucking works, you know, I am so happy to be proven wrong, guys. That would be amazing. Like, sure, fucking call me in. Well, some advice for them if they're trying to like. <laughs> pull this off is you're right they need the mutual aid networks they need like logistics mm-hmm. they need a way to provide for people food distribution transportation housing edu- they're going to kick you out of apartments if you're doing this yeah. in large enough numbers uh education health care they're not above they're not above cutting you off of anything like you have to have all this shit set up even you know even if again if you have this which they don't probably they don't have a strike fund i'm pretty sure but if you did you still need these alternative forms like when they did the seattle general strike and everything mm-hmm. like that only lasted five days but they had like soup kitchens set up and they had yeah like they had their own like mutual defense force set up basically like a, a substitute for the cops that weren't going around killing people um, <laughs> and that 
took a lot of work. Think how high unionization rates were then compared to now. Unions are like shadows of their former selves now. Mm-hmm. And that's where you would have like the discipline to pull this off. Like how many people didn't get it, you know, when they read it just like you did. And, they, and they're like, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can stay home October 15th. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I think too, without the union, it is very scary, I guess, or like mm-hmm. it feels very individual. Like, I guess I have to do this. Yeah. And like, you don't know who else is doing it. You mm-hmm. don't know who else at your workplace is doing it. You have no fucking idea of how big this is, where if it's like a union, you can just be like, all right, everyone here is doing this. Cool. I'm in. And you have each other's backs. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. so many people are exactly, they're going to do, they're going to see it that way and say, let, you know, me like, Dude, if I do, I'm going to put my neck out there and and get get fired. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. And so many people are not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And we're just naysaying, I guess. And that's, you know, it's not all like like you said, I would love to see this. Like (laughs) if this pops off, great. Yeah, we'll be there, you know, on the barricades. All right. But by October, it's kind of a long shot, I think. I think that's the thing. I I don't want to seem like you have to have part of an organization for this. I think the organization piece isn't so much like, why isn't this like sponsored by DSA or something? It's more like when you have the organization or unions, you have, you have that peace of mind. Like, okay, surely they have some sort of setup for the things we mentioned, like the resources and for the logistics and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it's just like, this really vague website you're just like this is just like a guy like <laughs> i don't know yeah. this is actually real yeah like i would feel a lot better if this were hyper localized if this were grassroots because if if they were like yeah this is from you know latinx dallas this is from whatever i'd be mm-hmm. like okay yeah i'm fucking down but because it is so broad and vague i'm like i don't know what to do here right yeah and you have to be thinking that if especially if you're in more rural areas or if you're like not in Los Angeles, not in mm-hmm. you know New York. Like you're thinking, are they doing that here? And you know <laughs> wherever you are, like you're kind of feeling disconnected. And we're, we're you know we're criticizing a lot, but what should we be doing? <laughs> okay, so we should be we mentioned organizing in mm-hmm. our workplaces, right? We should be building up like unions, not just you know kind of bureaucratized unions but like you know radical democratic labor unions built from the bottom up we should be building like political parties that are or political movements however you want to see it uh, that are that are advocating for workers you know this is kind of an aside do you want to talk about what's going on with blizzard we can i do not know anything about it all right let me tell you a story okay (laughs) so i don't know exactly the timeline on this this is all from twitter y'all but a while back, uh, these documents were released about basically a whole bunch of harassment claims against Blizzard. And they were, as you can imagine, uh, this is a, a video game company and based in the United States. If you don't know Blizzard, they are the ones behind World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. Overwatch. Those are Hearthstone, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, all that nerd shit. <laughs> <laughs> I say lovingly. But not lovingly, because these guys suck. Basically, like, all this info came out, and they were just, like, it was a super toxic environment for women, Mm. and it was just, like, it was terrible. And, like, so it was this whole, basically, tweet storm of people, like, revealing their stories and also revealing their stories about other game companies and just being like, yeah, it's, like, always been like this, and it fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. And it was a big, like, reckoning. 
And then, like, maybe a week later, there's news about Blizzard hiring basically an anti-union, like, firm to come in and bust shit up. Oh, whoa. Was it, were they <laughs> yeah. also trying to unionize, or was that just to break that, like, talk up? So they hired Wilmer Hale, a law firm with a reputation for union busting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some claims to fame. Uh, represented the U.S. Army pro bono in Army McCarthy hearings, and also President Nixon. Cool resume. Good guy Nixon. Friend of the show, Mm -hmm. Richard Mm -hmm. Milhouse Nixon. (laughs) Uh, I think, I don't know, I I haven't heard, like, maybe I missed some of the conversation, I guess, about... Like, when it went from, like, here's all these stories of harassment to, like, we're busting up unions. I missed the middle part of, like, let's do a union. <laughs> maybe I was just not on Twitter that week. Yeah, or maybe it's just, like, PR or something. Like, counter countering bad claims, you know? I just think it's super interesting that, what, regardless of whether there was that middle part of, like, hey, let's do a union, like, actual organizing or not. Mm-hmm. I hope there was, and there probably was. I'm just, like, not really researching this story. Sorry. <laughs> but... I think it's really interesting and really telling that, like, after harassment claims, like, that's their natural response. Yeah. It's <laughs> to, like, let's let's make sure that no one else can talk, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that goes to show, you know, capitalism will take whatever means it needs to take. And so calling out for a day, not buying on Amazon for a day, that's not going to cut it. Even if you, you know, try to go further than that, with you know, and, and keep it up you really do have to have like a critical mass of people, like tons of people. I think the general strike, the big one does have a way to work. It just requires a ton of work like beforehand Mm -hmm. that we have not done yet. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's the concerning part. Yeah. So, yeah. And also a reminder that like HR is not your friend. (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah. They work for the company too. Just like these, you know, union busting law firms that they bring in and, and, I guess that's a good point too, is they, they will, they always have more that they could do to you. Um, (laughs) It's like capitalism usually has a hand tied behind its back that is just, you know, kind of itching to get at our throats. uh, Once we show some resistance. (laughs) Yeah. There are so many things they can do legally to fuck people over and they will do them. (laughs) Yeah. I thought this was interesting too. I found this article that was from a law firm since you brought up this like union mm, law yeah. firm thing. It was from a law firm uh, talking about guidance for employers oh, preparing oh, oh, oh. for the strike for black lives. So this was what last summer? Uh, yeah. It said, you know, labor organizations are planning a strike for black lives, the national walkout, blah, blah, blah. So here's legally what you can do in terms of the <laughs> national labor relations board and, and all that, you know, and they Great. were like, you can't fire people. So please don't fire people for going on strike for okay, political right. reasons. Cause they're like, Oh, you know, that's probably protected. So don't do that. Don't discipline them mm-hmm. for that. Don't really acknowledge it ahead of time. Okay. Just plan ahead. Make sure that, you prepare for everybody trying to ask off for that day, like try to get extra people, try to basically work around it without causing a fuss. Mm, okay, interesting. I feel like that's what they would try to do with this if it does come to fruition mm-hmm. is, hey, we heard there's this thing, you know, play it cool, uh, but be prepared. Like they, you know, they don't want to get hurt on their bottom line, 
mm-hmm. but they also don't want to like have to deal with the legal headache or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, again, I guess we've returned to our point of we got to do more work. We've got to do more work and it's hard and going to take a long time. So anyway, <laughs> again, willing to be proven wrong yeah. on this for sure. Wishing them good luck. If in a month everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is the biggest, this is going to be the biggest fucking thing. Here's all the resources for it. Like, We're taking yeah, down sure. capitalism. Like, okay, yes. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> or even, I mean, you don't have to, so it doesn't have to be that. Like, you can do a yeah, general strike for demands. Yeah, this list of demands would be great. I know I gave it shit, but like, that'd be a good yeah. starting point. Because if this actually worked, let's let's take the positive spin for a second. If this worked, then it would prove that this works. Mm-hmm. And that's fucking huge. Yes. Because the next time, you'd have twice the people with twice the demands. And twice the fear in the hearts of the capitalists, too. Like, I mean, Yeah, probably twice the tanks. People come back to you like more <laughs> politely after you just showed them what you can do, you know? Showed them you're yeah. not to be trifled with. All right. Well, thank you for bringing that up. Alcohol dumpster. Keep it real. PhD. PhD, excuse me. You did not go to alcohol dumpster medical school for me to dishonor you. (laughs) I don't think you get PhDs at medical school. Oh, fuck. Yeah. (laughs) I get those mixed up. It's fine. (laughs) I don't have any of those. (laughs) That's why I don't know. Uh, All right. Next, we have a question from Carl. All right. What is democratic centralism? And why might it be crucial to revolutionary politics? I don't know what this is. Cool. It sounds kind of milk toast. Just the centralism part. It's not. No, it's not. Okay. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> All right. Democratic centralism. It is an organizing principle for political parties. And what it means, for one, is that all the party structures like uh, this committee or this particular office, whatever, uh, should be elected and have to report to party members. But mainly what people talk about democratic centralism, meaning is that within the party, there is what is called freedom of discussion and unity of action. Oh, okay. This kind of reminds me of like our Lenin episode, I want to say, whenever they're like, we can talk all the fucking shit we want to in our house. Yes. But when we go out, we're unified. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. So you're at the cool Communist Party meeting, right? You get drunk. You call people names. You call people a feather duster. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. If people, <laughs> someone proposes something and you're like, that's bullshit. Here's what. Fucking now, turkey head. And it's not just name calling and arguing for arguing's sake. Like, we're really trying to get at what is the best course of action here. And so, mm-hmm. like, if you have a reason why this idea fucking sucks, say so. Right. Mm -hmm. Or if you have a reason why it's great and we got to do it, like show us the like we want to know what's good or what's bad. This is the Democratic part, the freedom of discussion. I like that. Then the chairman guy that you all elected says, "Okay, Mm -hmm. bullshit's done. Time to vote. Doing it or not. And then once we decide everybody in the cool Communist Party, all the members are bound to uphold that decision, even if it's not the one you like. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, that would solve, I feel like, some problems. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. With a lot of sorts of problems, right? Like splitting. Mm-hmm. That, we're bad about that. So, yeah, this solves a lot of problems because, like, you know, okay, what's the point in being in an organization if you're not going to, like, work together, If you know, right? Like, you can have the argument. Yeah. Even, you know, it doesn't go your way that time. You can bring it up later if, like, you know the same issue arises and you're like, Hey, that didn't work. Let's do this. You know, you can, that's fine. But like you have to, you know, go with the decision. You can't stay in the party and like make the, 
you know, anti that one decision faction, mm-hmm. you know, and start m- doing machinations and, and doing this. Because what are you doing? You're working against the will of the majority of the people in your party. So you're being anti-democratic. That's a good point. Yeah. Okay, wait. When you say you can bring it up later, can you? Because what if someone's like, well, we already made that decision, bro. Like, get with the program. You can't do it like that day. Oh, okay. Yeah, but like the next time y'all meet, you can be like, so I want to talk about that one thing. Yeah, I'm still mad about yeah, this. Things changed. It didn't work. Here's why. And people will just okay. tell you like you're an asshole if it did work, right? <laughs> you bring it up every meeting like, oh my God, Frank, we already talked about that. Right. But if it is a problem, <laughs> other people will be like, yeah, yeah, let's talk about that. Like it's, you know, it's, a, it's um, the, I think the Democratic part is just as important as the centralism part. Mm-hmm. Both of them reinforce each other. And if you don't do one of the parts or the other parts, it's going to get messed up. And it's yeah. also not saying like, let's say it's a big deal. Like everyone likes this thing, but you're like, nah, man, this is like core to my being. You can just like leave the party. Yeah. It's not like you have to be there and you have to do something you don't like. Just be like, nah, dude, I'm out. It's fine. But then isn't that just fracturing? Well, you can't be like, you shouldn't be like, no, nah, this is the worst. Come on, guys. You know, like just leave, just, just go like you don't have to be a part of it you know yeah and every you know people who feel that strongly about it sure i think that's okay for them to like leave the but you can't have it compulsory well no no but most people will be like no this isn't something you know maybe i disagree but this isn't something that i'm going to like leave over you know okay yeah for most things okay i think this sounds cool but like we're not there i feel like because i mean obviously we're not there but like Mm -hmm. We're not even in a position where this could be a thing because voting is so fucked up that, like, I don't know how you would... I wouldn't want fucking the people in charge to be doing this right now. Oh, no, 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 no. No, <laughs> this is for governing a party. I wouldn't want them doing it either. Well, I mean, I would be fine with the Democratic Party running Democratic centralism. They would fuck it up and everyone would see that it sucks, you know? And the Republicans, <laughs> They've been fucking the Republicans up for a long time. This sometimes, you know, but, like... I mean, communist parties or, or socialist parties or, or workers, you know, leftist parties. Mm-hmm. That's who we would want doing this. Now, the, the mm-hmm. you know, more mm, individualist style anarchists would not, you know, this is kind of like too authoritarian for them. Yeah. But I think that within an organized like you know, either a vanguard party or something like that along, you know, leftist lines. It's a really good way to organize that. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm just trying to wrap my head around, like, the context in which this would be used. So, like, this is, I mean, this could be used in the organizing phase. Like, let's say you're organizing that general strike. Like, you need to have a system in place to, like, fucking brainstorm shit and get shit done. Right. This could be used in that. It could also be used, like, you know, your strike goes really well. Now you're in charge. <laughs> now you use it to also like manage power and stuff like that. Yes. So it can be used at like all levels, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. A baby way to think about this is <laughs> whenever parents are like, we got to have a united front. That's what this is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of. It's you have the argument or whatever, but then you go out there and we're like, we're doing this. This is what we're doing. It's good. You know, until maybe you figure out it's not and then you change your mind. But until in 10 years, you can tell your mom did not want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But again, I guess I would emphasize that, you know, within your party structure, or I guess what's if you're, you know, if you do take power, like you were saying, right, within mm-hmm. the society overall, the elected positions are 
you know, they're elected, they're democratic, you know, you have Mm -hmm. to have people expressing what they actually want or or else you get into just like one guy's in charge, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Then it just becomes a fucking party of powerful people. Yeah. Or like a little And that's probably when you get the wheeling and dealing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You want, you know, it connected to the people, you know, the Maoists have a good way of doing this with a mass line, making Mm -hmm. sure they're not deviating off from what people actually want, you know? But again, that centralism part, otherwise, I mean, leftists were great at this. We end up in a party with just ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) The one true party that really got it right. (laughs) I love it. So that's what democratic centralism is trying to avoid, is trying to avoid the party working against itself, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I like it. I dig it. It sounds very useful. It sounds very practical in a way that, like, yeah, <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of like majority rules almost, honestly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's good. I dig it. <laughs> okay. Next, we have a question from Rowan. And he asks, what do you guys think of the fact that Stalin was Lenin's apprentice in a way? Should we view Lenin more critically through that lens? Mm, okay. Um, I didn't know this, but I don't know a lot of things. But I don't know. I don't know how I want to view that because, like, I mean, they're two different guys. Like, you can have a teacher and then not do what your teacher says. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And pretty sure, you know, Lenin's teachers in school weren't like, that's my boy overthrowing the empire, you know. <laughs> so uh, proud. So, I, okay. First of all, we don't want to get to great man of history, mm-hmm. you know, style. And yeah, they're not what primary moves the historical forces and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In addition, the Soviet Union did not like a 100% turn on whatever Lenin or whatever Stalin wanted to do. Stalin kind of takes it in that direction, but it's still yeah. never like, I would argue, never really a 100% just the will of one person. It's, you know, it's got democratic centralism too. Mm-hmm. To an extent. <laughs> like I said, that fluctuates. But I think, okay, so it's still good to learn from historical figures. If we look at this, yes, it is true. Lenin definitely okay. stuck by Stalin for most of his life. I thought Lenin died pretty young. Maybe that's why I'm not. Oh, I meant so. I meant for this. most of Lenin's life. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wasn't a lot of it, but he was into it while he was alive. But like, what if what if Lenin had lived to be really old? Would he be like that guy actually sucked? Probably. So like Lenin, you know like kind of took Stalin in under his wing, so to speak, or like vouched for him, brought him into the communist party. I forgot. That was when Stalin was like robbing banks and shit. Yes. Yeah. And then the rest (laughs) of the communist party was like, let's expel this motherfucker. He's just a bank robber. You know, he makes us look (laughs) bad, but Lenin's like, don't rob banks. But if you do get us the money, but like, I won't say no. Yeah. But let's not kick him out. You know, he was kind of vouching for him. Like this guy's cool. That's hilarious. And, and, and he supports Stalin getting appointed to ge- the position of general secretary. And like, you know, he's kind of rise to internal party power. And it's not till like the very end of his life, you know, he's had, he had like the strokes that kind of debilitated mm-hmm. him and forced him into sort of a retirement. Yeah. That he kind of sours on Stalin. Uh, mm. They had arguments about things, about policies, and they also had personal disagreements. Stalin was quite rude to Nadezhda, his wife, to to to, to Lenin's wife, and, and well, because he was sexist. And Lenin was pissed about that and was just and 
was like, you know, never talk to her again, that sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> Love a wife guy. I remember we mentioned in Lennon's episode about Lennon's testament, where he said uh, it was very near the end, and he said uh, Stalin's an asshole. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that sounds familiar now. And we mentioned that maybe it wasn't genuine, but I was doing some more research into it, and it does look like it was, like, for real. So, Oh, um, okay. It, there are I parts like that. that people say maybe Nadiezda added a little bit in to, like, emphasize how rude <laughs> Stalin was. She didn't hate was. that guy. And that would make sense. But the sentiment does seem to have been from Lenin that he didn't think Stalin should really be in as high a power as he was. And so he criticized him a lot. And he, and this is not completely like a 180 degree turn. He had sometimes criticized things that Stalin did in his life. But generally he was like, he's a good communist. He's a good, you know, he's, he's one he's of us. He's doing his best. Yeah. But okay. That said, what do you think about viewing Lenin more critically? How should we break him down? I guess. I'm curious because of where we were at with the last question I'm wondering how much of this is like, I got to support my guy, you know, Mm -hmm. because like, I'm wondering if in private, he disagreed with him a lot more than he was willing to let on, which was like, well, he's part of the party. Like, I can't really do anything about it. So, and we've talked about before, like how Lennon came up was very like secretive and stuff. So like, I just, I could see him being like, yeah, I think he's a dick, but he's like not capitalist. And like, I got to fucking take what I can get right now. That's a good point. Yeah. Because I think, you know, when we're breaking this down, we're really trying to like, what, analyze just, okay, what are some good things they did? What are some bad things? It's not like, you know, okay, is this guy a saint or is this guy like an (laughs) asshole? Like nobody's either one or the other. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so you're right. Like, okay, so he's not a capitalist, right? So first of all, he's on our side. And you can do this with any (laughs) historical figure. Like, if they're a capitalist, it's like just studying your enemy. Like, what are they going to do if we... (laughs) You know, if we try this tactic, what would they do? You know, like it's, it's yeah. you can learn that way. Opposition research. Oh, yeah. But if they're on the left, okay, what do they do to our morality, right? Should basically be our, our judgment should be what they do to help, you know, the left, the revolution. And then what they do to hurt, like good, bad, right? Mm-hmm. I guess with Lenin, like you said, he's sticking by, he's sticking by Stalin. And I don't. I think it's problematic. Yeah. Okay. I, I I would have respected it a lot if he had like, he doesn't even necessarily have to come out in public or whatever. He could even have had just had a chat with someone like, Hey, I think you're doing some shitty things. Like get your shit back in order. Okay. So one thing I would counter that with is most of the things that people criticize Stalin for, he had not done by the time Lennon died. You know, it's stuff he was when he was in power, you know? So Lenin dies. Okay, that's important to know. Yeah. That's really important. Lenin dies in the 20s, and Stalin's not in power till after that. So. Oh, okay. So he couldn't have gone to him and be like, hey, can you stop all the murders? And sure, stuff? yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's one of the things they criticized for, is the, the, the Great Purge, and they had excesses mm-hmm. to it, and, and a lot of other different policy decisions that we've talked shit about, too, right? Criminalizing <laughs> homosexuality, restricting yeah. abortions, making divorce yeah. harder, the deporting the ethnic groups thing. And whatever extent he ends up making the Ukraine, uh, the Ukrainian famine worse. Yeah. You, you know, that all does happen once Stalin's in power. So that's not something Lenin knew about in his life. He just said kind of close to the end of his own life to Lenin's life oh. that he was like, I don't know about Stalin. Maybe don't put him in charge. I think those are both really important pieces of context in this question. Yeah. Because I, I don't think it's fair to be like, yeah, he was his guy if he <laughs> he wasn't like 
aware of everything he did, you know? Like, I don't think... I mean, I guess the original question was, like, he was his apprentice, so you could postulate, like, well, Stalin must have learned it from somewhere. Yeah, or that Lenin set him up to be in that position to do those things, mm-hmm. I think, is the other. Oh, I interpret it as, like, do you think... In Lenin's secret communist school, he's like, and then when you're in power, I want you to do this ethnic cleansing or whatever, Mm. which I just, I find hard to believe, but like, maybe I'm just being too generous. Well, there's, I know, I I don't want to paint Lenin as a pansy. There's nothing that he, you know, if... uh, Oh, he would do shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. So, so like, (laughs) if he, if it was necessary, if he thought it was necessary, he was going to do it. And maybe Stalin was in the same vein of like, I think I got to do these things and then did it Mm -hmm. so in that way you could say that everything stems from that view Mm -hmm. yeah maybe he took that lesson of if it's necessary i'll do it and then somehow was like this is necessary yeah (laughs) i don't know why but something's telling me that i gotta restrict abortions is extremely necessary yeah that there were arguments in the party that said that it was that's that's what that's why they they didn't wake up one day and said you know what we're gonna be assholes like they thought that was a good idea we looking on it and we're like, no, oh, that's mean. But, mm-hmm. but you know, mo- with most things, it's, you know, with the deportations of people, it's, the, you know, they thought there was a reason to do that. Not that it can't be. I know. And that's the thing you're looking at history is, yeah, people are going to think they're good, but so do the capitalists. So it's not necessarily an excuse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of a black and white thinker sometimes. So it's very easy for me to just be like, well, it's not a good idea. So, well, <laughs> well it's wrong. Well, so we've given you, you know. A morality, a black and white to judge with, right? Mm-hmm. Good for the people or not. So, yeah. And then I guess when you, you know, again, nobody's 100% one or the other. Stalin, we mentioned the shitty things he did. I mean, mm-hmm. if we're judging Lenin based on <laughs> saying he's responsible for Stalin, well, then, okay, well, what all did Stalin do? Those bad things. And also industrializing the USSR, not single handedly, but like, you know, starting that process and and Mm -hmm. that leads to the Soviet Union being like prepared enough to keep ramping itself up to defeat the Nazis in in World War II. Big deal. You know, they (laughs) lost 27 million people and then they rebuilt the country after that. Yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, the Soviet Union, you know, he kept a lot of things and and built up a lot of the, the systems that we've talked about of like free healthcare and education, uh, guaranteed employment, sick pay, vacation, uh, cheap housing, child care. Nothing to sneeze at. I'd like to have some of these. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be great. I love, like, even half of those things. <laughs> it's it's not him. It's not like, thank you, it's Stalin. Not him personally. But, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe someone else would have continued it too. But, like, it's, you know, I think he it's didn't still. get rid of it. Yeah, it goes in the good <laughs> column because, like, he you know, obviously supported it. He could have just said, nope. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I, I think this is a really interesting question. Um, it's a it's a thinker. It's a what if, and so ultimately it's not conclusive, right? Because like... Oh, well, yeah, we don't know. What if Lenin had acted differently, put someone else what in power? What if he lived longer? Like, yeah. there's a lot of what ifs. Yeah, and then like, would that be better or worse? Absolutely no one has any idea. Like, there's no way to tell. But if we're feeling judgy, I guess we can be like, okay, you know, Lenin's actions... How much did they lead to Stalin taking power, and then how much did that of that should be on Lenin's shoulders? Yeah, I, I think I'm again going to go back to the fact that, like, I mean, the bank robbing is hilarious, so I don't hold that against. Him. And it was against <laughs> but, yeah, the Tsar's guy. So yeah, who gives a shit? But um, I I mean, 
we didn't have any evidence that Stalin was doing like these bad, the bad shit before Lenin died. Like the real bad shit. Yeah. I'm sure he had done some bad things. He had done some personally so bad things um, in his personal life, but I don't mm, know okay. the extent to which Lenin would know about or any of, we know it in historians, but I don't know mm-hmm. how much people knew back then. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is like, again, like he died before he did any of the major bad shit. Mm-hmm. So like he, wasn't I don't feel like that would make him responsible for it. Like, how would he know? And I think, you know, the counter to that would be what we were talking about of your willingness to deal with the problems. Yeah. That notion of let's use the means. And I don't necessarily criticize that, honestly, because, like, usually, yeah, do what you need to do. Maybe you have to have some lines. Maybe you have to, you know, have some things you're not willing to do, but then you're less effective. But that the argument would be that, like, having that, you know, Len- and Lenin's not responsible for Stalin having that view necessarily. He probably already <laughs> thought that. But Well, yeah. Well, this reminds me of, I mean, a debate I see a lot online on the left mm-hmm. is just the idea of authoritarianism in general. This <laughs> socialist meme account I follow, I think it's a leftist. I don't remember exactly what their handle was. Yeah. But they shared something of like, you know, the angry guy being like, oh, I hate authoritarianism. And then like the... Uh, happy meme guy, you know, with like the happy crying face being like, yay, it's Russian. And like, people were mad about it in the comments. And I thought it was just a really interesting. Mm. I mean, it wasn't a discussion. It was just a fucking shit show. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I do, I think that's really interesting. And I think it's, I think it's the anarchist in me that is always going to have like a little like, mm, why'd you do that? You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I find it very hard to unilaterally support anybody. Uh-huh. Especially in an authoritarian context. Oh, for sure. I guess I'm on the unilateral side anyway. I'm, I'm definitely mm-hmm. like, yeah, everybody, I got something that I'm like, eh, about. For sure. I just, I guess my, the other thing that I am, that I have a strong opinion about, I guess, is that I feel like you can still take the good and the bad from each person, you know, and learn from yeah. each of those things. You know, and praise the good things they do and and condemn the bad things they do. I think that's an important distinction because I think when people are like, do you like so-and-so, it reduces it to this very, I mean, <laughs> reductive view yeah. of like, yeah, everything they did was great. I stand Yeah, there. don't have heroes. When it's like, that's not how that works. <laughs> and like, I like the idea of instead saying like, they did X, Y, and Z good. They sucked it, you know, one, two, and three. Yes, exactly. And, and you can still kind of like, broad, I don't know, broadly speaking, like them like you know yeah you buy a t-shirt with them or whatever they were cool you know they did these <laughs> cool things and when people oh how can you you'd be like yeah i know they did some ass i know they also too, did bad things yeah. <laughs> two things can be true at once people once again, yeah, bring that back. people get a little like you were saying they get black and white absolutist mm-hmm. one or the other and nobody's like that you know we That's when, when people are work. like that they make them into jesus or buddha or something like or mary sue yeah they, you know they get <laughs> a whole branch after themselves because that's because they're weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is a weird thing to be most people do uh, some good Jesus, do some bad. so he had that temper tantrum at the temple you know yeah, which was based so like <laughs> it was fucking cool <laughs> i wish we had more of that angry jesus yeah so um we probably didn't answer your question rowan but we talked about <laughs> it we i don't know we answered what do you guys think fair enough and we t- we said what we think should we view him in it? And, and we both said, I don't we know. We both said maybe. <laughs> Depends. <laughs> I don't know. I think that ultimately you can view them more critically if you want. 
but what you should really be striving to do, although it's fun to judge historical figures, is to say what it. good things did they do, what bad things did they do. Let's learn from it. Let's put together a better revolution with fewer of their mistakes in the future. As you know, I watch a lot of reality competition shows, so I have a natural judginess <laughs> streak. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Good, good conversation there. Thank you, Rowan. Yeah. And thank you, Carl, for the previous question. We didn't thank him either. Oh, yes, yes. Our final question is from Brennan, and he asks, what is third worldism slash Maoist third worldism? I don't know. What is it? All right. So third worldism, <laughs> broadly speaking, is is based on the old notion of the three worlds model, mm-hmm. uh, which is what you probably first heard about with third world countries. Yeah. What are second world countries? Never hear about those. So the first world's the capitalist world. And its okay. allies, like like the Western, you know, United States, and then the second world was the Soviet Union, the Eastern Bloc, and its allied countries, China, and those guys. I did not know yeah. that. That's fascinating. I'm going to start asking people what's the second world and see what they're see answers if they are. know. Yeah, <laughs> I'll report. Then back. the third world were the unaligned countries, many of whom had like colonial histories. They were exploited mm-hmm. countries, you know. So they get this connotation as being the poor or the undeveloped countries. Yeah, I've heard, this is kind of an aside, but I've heard that it's, like, not cool to use that term anymore. Uh, it's not the preferred term. I don't know if, yeah. you know. It seems douchey. Yeah. It, <laughs> I mean, it's literally saying you're in last place. Yeah, well, people usually use it because they have just kind of sort of heard it, and they just know it means, like, poor countries that nobody mm-hmm. cares about. And so that's how they use it, and that's shitty, yeah. Okay, anyway, but what is it in this context? So third worldism would argue that the bigger more important division of the world was not between the first two worlds, the Mm. capitalists and the socialists, right? The East and West, but between the global North and South, between the core empires and the exploited periphery or the far flung lands. I mean, as one of my favorite books being open veins, I gotta say, I agree. It's kind of got a heritage with this (laughs) idea. Yeah. Obviously the three worlds model kind of faded with the fading of the second world, the Soviet Union, (laughs) But we still have theories like dependency theory, which Open Veins is, is heavily based on, and world mm, okay. systems theory, which is more or less that same idea, that uh, you have an imperial core and you have a periphery, and that's the main struggle of the world system, is that the core exploits the periphery. And I mean, like, you know, just as a leftist of Marxist analysis can clearly see that's just imper- that's imperialism mm-hmm. working, you know? Yeah, that's what that is. So that's just third worldism without the Maoism attached. So if you attach it and you say, okay, what's Maoism third worldism? Okay. This is a particular tendency of Maoism. Mm -hmm. So some Maoists are like, yeah, this is cool. Uh, And (laughs) that's Maoism, like capital M. It's sometimes referred to as Marxist-Leninist Maoism, like MLM. (laughs) MLM. Mm -hmm. I I love when you say MLM, because my fan fiction brain goes immediately to men loving men. <laughs> <laughs> and mine goes to multi-level marketing. So uh, yeah, different strokes, literally. <laughs> oh, uh, so it's controversial. This is controversial. Okay. Idea. Okay. Tell me about it. And Maoism, third worldism divides up the proletariat into the first world and the third world using those mm. old labels. Uh, so again, the Imperial core, the, you know, the imperialist countries, the capitalist countries mm-hmm. uh, versus the exploited periphery countries. So the okay. exploited global south is what we 
frequently hear it referred to as now. So is there idea that a proletariat in the United States is very different from a proletariat in like the third world? Yes. I mean, they're not wrong. No, yeah, they're not. They're not wrong in that sense, I would say. So they take there's this Marxist idea of the labor aristocracy. Mm, Okay, what's that again? This is actually, you know, has a long pedigree going back to Karakotsky and Lenin talked about it in imperialism the highest stage of capitalism. Mm. Uh, but labor aristocracy, Lenin argues that, that companies in the imperial core, right, mm-hmm. they exploit workers in the periphery like a lot more because wages yeah. are, are lower. Uh, and so they make more profits abroad. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then they, they, they pocket some of that, sure. But some of it they use to pay their workers in the imperial core more than they otherwise would. Mm, so okay. they enjoy like a higher standard of living in yeah. the United States and Western European countries yeah. in those countries versus in the imperialist countries versus uh, people in those uh, in the global South. Yeah. I mean, also true. I'm curious as to where this is going. I have a feeling, okay. but let's well, see. So what Lenin <laughs> argued was that this created a working class that was more satisfied with its relative standard of living. Like, mm-hmm. hey, it could be worse. There are sweatshops in Asia, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Less likely to launch a revolution. Yeah. Uh, and so what follows is that basically the revolution is less likely to happen in the imperial core, where capitalism is more advanced, than it is to happen in the periphery in the exploited countries where they are daily getting bled kind of makes sense honestly like Mm -hmm. it kind of reminds me of kind of like jim crow tactics of being like hey you get to like shit on some other people like Mm -hmm. don't you at least you're not black basically and this is like at least you're not in a sweatshop yeah and you get a lot of treats and like you have you know a cool smartphone and you (laughs) you know you get to buy funny shirts and yeah you you (laughs) you get to do things i guess in in a creature comfort sort of way you have the and that's you know those are all kind of the spoils of empire i mean yeah yeah and i think it's interesting to see how liberalism has tried and failed to account for this mostly by being like well just shop ethically (laughs) as if that's like an option oh sure yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay yeah i'm i'm picking up what they're laying down that's where they get this whole idea of labor aristocracy. And so what they say is that the proletariat of the first world, right? We said they divide mm-hmm. them up. So the first world, the the imperialist countries, they are more, they're similar to this labor aristocracy. So they're more likely to side with the bourgeoisie to keep their relative privileges, to keep mm-hmm. those those fancy things, than they are to side with the global proletariat which which could you know because if if the global proletariat were to do a revolution that could mean leveling between the two and and take mm-hmm. the the proletariat in the first world countries take them down a notch which they're yeah. afraid of so essentially what they argue is that that us you know mm-hmm. people in America or in western europe or pe- people in the imperialist countries mm-hmm. the proletariat there you even, know who you are uh, <laughs> They're saying that they do have something else to lose, but they're chains, and that this makes mm-hmm. the revolution more probable somewhere else instead of in the core countries. So it's more likely to happen mm-hmm. elsewhere than in the U.S. and Great Britain. 
I understand where they're coming from, and I think it is important to point out those like disparities. Like, yes. yeah, that's yeah. that's important, and that should not be left out of the conversation. Otherwise, like we've talked about it, now congrats, now you're imperialist and socialist. Like, good job, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But. I worry that this kind of thinking is ultimately a little bit divisive and a little mm-hmm. maybe just like not in good faith. Like, I, I don't know. This I saw a tweet the other day. It was like, honestly, I think if you sat every millennial down and was like, hey, will you take like, you know, a X amount cut to your comfort level so we can save the planet? I think everyone would say yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's very naive. And like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we actually have a lot of assholes who like nice things and stuff. Like I like nice things. I get it. And, and I don't know. I just, I think it's a choice. Like, I don't, I don't think, yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of people are going to be like, yeah, I have it good. Why would I do that? Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's necessarily always what's going to happen. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I kind of hold that same reservation. Like, cause it's a good point. You're right it's good to like keep in mind that the capitalists are really, you know, any sort of social welfare things that we can get and like concessions we can wring from the government. It's not just they're being nice, right? Like Mm -hmm. they don't want us to do something about it. Like, (laughs) Hey, if I give you this, will you leave me alone? You know, like, yeah. um, Yeah. For one. And also to like help us zoom out and not be so national focused. Like you said, we don't want to just make like imperialism, but, we get nice things, you know? And, and I think that kind of makes sense, the whole idea of, like, that sub-imperialism of, like, yeah, keep the workers at home happy so that way we can exploit people abroad um, or keep them happier. I would argue there's a lot of very unhappy people in the West as well. Yeah, that's true. And I think there's a lot of people that whose stories aren't told as much, too. Like, when you think about, like, indigenous people who are, like, you know, they have very bad stats and like standards of living and stuff like that. And you have undocumented people like mm-hmm. extremely hard to even get stats on them. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah, I, to me, this feels like slightly reductive. I understand where they're coming from. And like, I, I like parts of it for sure. I just don't know if I would be like, that's my thing. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, I guess what is their, that's their, is it just a theory? It's not like a, here's what we think we should do about it. It depends. So, You can, you know, people can kind of follow this tendency and be, Mm -hmm. broadly speaking, a malice third worldist Mm -hmm. uh, and generally still be like pretty good in terms of their revolutionary politics and stuff. The problem kind of comes in to play when you are kind of absolutist about this, if this is your thing. And some of them do this. At least you see this online. And I don't know how actually prevalent this is in real life (laughs) organizing and stuff. But you can get to the point where they kind of say that like because of that prediction of revolution is going to happen in the periphery rather than in the imperial Mm -hmm. core rather than in like the belly of the beast it's sometimes put that we basically shouldn't try to do anything revolutionary wise because like that's up to the rest of the world to do the revolution we shouldn't be doing for it because like uh we're we're, you know we already have it so well and like i'm making a very judgy (laughs) face right now i have said this so many times wherever it pops off in whatever manner i'm down yeah (laughs) as long as it's not like racist (laughs) you know like that's i'm good like let's do it (laughs) yeah i think i agree it's like okay you mentioned this before i think it's bad one because poor working class people in the united states and in other western countries sure they're like relatively doing pretty well in terms of the global Mm -hmm. 
scale, but they're like, you're right. They're still suffering. Like they're still suffering exploitation. Even if they have a nice job, they're still getting ripped off. To tie it back to last week, it's the same bad guy, you know, like we can't, it's not like it's two different problems. (laughs) Uh Yeah. It's the same guy being an asshole and there's still like a better alternative for them that we should be trying to get people to fight for. Like, I mean, yes, we should be fighting for more than just like a bigger, you know, a bigger scrap from the spoils of imperialism, you know, and, and, and we, we sure, again, we need to make sure we don't just redo imperialism, but with social, like, yes. And a lot of, I think a lot of good third worldists actually do agitate for revolutionary goals, even in the developed countries and stuff like they don't let it go to their head, but there are the ones that say like, why bother? Like, sit the fuck down. This is yeah. your fight. Uh-huh. And I think that's kind of... I think it's needlessly divisive. Yeah. Divisive's a good way to put it, too. Yeah. And it's also kind of like, come save us, like, Global South from Yeah, ourselves. that's also like, <laughs> shitty. Like, I know you're, like, really exploited and fucking starving or whatever. Can you save me from capitalism, too? There aren't, like, um, there aren't third worldists, like, political parties that say stuff like that. Like, don't do revolution mm-hmm. in the imperialist countries. There aren't parties that are saying that, like, in the global south, uh, that are yeah. actually, like, doing retract yeah, people's wars and shit. Yeah, this is all, like, shit. from a Western lens being like, we should just chill. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like armchair. And that's, again, that's not every, all of them, but it's some of them. It's very, like, um, like when people, like, put black women up on this pedestal of, like, yes, she's a goddess, like, she's going to save us. It's like, why is that her fucking job? Like, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. And it ultimately, if, you, if you're looking at it that way, it's real determinist. You know, it's like, oh, it's mm-hmm. definitely going to happen this way. And you don't know, man. <laughs> Just sit back um, and chill. You know, Lenin wrote about that whole thing about the labor aristocracy mm-hmm. and stuff. And, and he, he has this quote about it. it says, neither we nor anyone else can calculate precisely what portion of the proletariat is following and will follow the social chauvinists and the opportunists. That's who he's talking, the reformists mm-hmm. and those, those guys, right? Yeah. He says, you know, this will be revealed only by the struggle. It'll be definitely decided only by the socialist revolution. I love how, like, some of the most fire takes from both Lenin and Marx are the equivalent of, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait and see, motherfucker. <laughs> like, it's going to be the name of my philosophy book. It's just a shrug emoji. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> uh, so that's, broadly speaking, the outline of Maoist third worldism. Again, it's got kind of a, I think it's got kind of a good, you know, way to look at things um, and that you can take it too far. <laughs> I think it's important to keep in mind and, and to not obviously leave out the quote unquote third world when we're talking about these things. So yes. Yeah. yeah. So keep in mind, I guess, or not keep in mind necessarily. That makes it sound like you're just like, Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. No, no, no. It's important to include. Yes. Yeah. We can't have, we can't just, I don't know. Maybe it's another argument against like just reformism or like mm-hmm. nice capitalism. Is, yeah. Yeah. That's nice. But for whom? What about them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can cut this for time if we need to, but this reminds me of a conversation I had with my in-laws. Mm, okay. <laughs> so the starting argument was that you can't compare people's unhappiness, basically. Like somebody's worst day is their worst day, you know? Okay, and like yeah. someone else could have a worst day that like 
seems really fucking bad. But to them, you know, to the first person, that was still the worst day. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And I'm like, I get what you're saying logically, but I'm like, I still don't feel bad for rich people. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that started a whole thing, yeah. obviously. But this kind of reminds me of that, though, of saying that, like, I'm much more sympathetic to it, obviously, because it's coming from a leftist lens uh-huh. of you can compare people's struggles in the sense that you can acknowledge that they're different and that one is maybe empirically worse than the other. Mm-hmm. But I think at the end of the day, you can still say, well, we should just stop the suffering in general. We should stop the suffering in general. And I would maybe argue that we should start, we should do something to bring those into balance. Yeah. You know, yeah. When all maybe, said and done, like yeah. we can't have the world as unequal as it is. Like <laughs> once we've done the global communist revolution, but on the other hand, yeah. Acknowledge also that and fight for both of them because both of them are suffering. Like, Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, t- hey, hey, like, sit down and wait till we fix this guy's suffering, and then, you know. Yeah, you'll never get anything done. Yeah. But I still don't feel bad for rich people's bad days. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they can totally suffer, and one way they could end that suffering is by betraying their class, joining us, and fighting against the system that has put them where they are. I mean, it's not a great system, right? They're suffering, so. Yeah, right? Wouldn't you be happier? <laughs> Yeah, I got a great way. Step right up to this cool little platform. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, <laughs> I got a one-way trip to end your suffering, bud. For the <laughs> two or three rich people that may be listening, you're welcome to join us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm a class trader. It's fine. All right. All right. Cool. Thank you for that question, yeah. Brennan. And thank you to all our listeners for their questions. If we didn't get to yours, I have a document. We also got lots of just like episode subject requests. So those are also in Mm -hmm. our our shared document. So keep an ear out. Yeah, we have yet more to take a look at. Actually, I think the next episode, Huey Long, was also requested. Oh, nice. So Speaking of which. That's what we're going to be doing next week, as I have already revealed. We'll be fucking funny. This guy's insane. Uh I don't know. It is weird. As we'll see, he's not, you know, he's not really like a communist or socialist. So it'll no. be, it'll be interesting, but we're going to be talking kind of, like you said, about the times as well. And there's a lot going on on the left back then that I think we can learn from. The discussion today, I feel like was a very good, like kind of primer in like how I'm thinking about some of his stuff, like the thing about democratic centralism and just like, modes of operating because this guy operated wildly and it's very weird (laughs) okay (laughs) all right all right in the meantime if you're like hey i've got a great episode idea send us an email teachmecommunism at gmail.com or reach us on social media we're on twitter at teach communism we're on instagram at teach me communism you can go to any of those places to give us a suggestion feedback question for future q a's all that good stuff yeah, please do. It's great to hear from you guys. I love it. I love it. And I also love reviews. Please do that. We're on Apple Podcasts. It's the best place to leave us a review. You can listen to us wherever the hell you want. Just leave a review there. Uh, so <laughs> it just really helps people find the show. So rate and review. Give us all your compliments. Yes. Shoot them into my veins. <laughs> We also have a YouTube, if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, so give us a search there. Mm -hmm. And we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash teachmecommunism. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each and every episode. 
This one is Grady's notes. I just winged it like an asshole, so <laughs> I don't have any notes for you this week. Well, that was but very good, unnoted. Mine. I can't. I just couldn't do that. I feel more confident when I have my notes with me. My notes are just if I whenever I do make notes, they're very short. Like I'll just do bullet points, be like, then talk about this, and like, that's yeah. it. <laughs> I can't because if I if I do any more than that, I'll write a script, and I don't want to do that. Yeah, I I don't know. I kind of write a script most of the time, mm-hmm. but I don't follow it word for word. I don't know, but it No, I, you do a good job. I think better if I write it out that way. So. That's how you work, man. <laughs> no, when I used to DM, I remember my first few sessions like I literally wrote a script mm-hmm. and eventually I just started writing bullets like and then the king comes in like <laughs> whatever the fuck. Yeah. Which was kind of more fun cuz then I got to improv a lot more of like I don't know, his voice sounds like this. Like <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I miss DMing. <laughs> kind of took a tangent to talk about D&D there, but if you <laughs> if you want to donate to our Patreon, um, I guess it's not donating because you get stuff. If you want to give money to our Patreon and get those cool notes at the end of the year, those funds will go to a mutual aid organization in Dallas. So, yeah, ain't going us. Yep. Yeah. Support your comrades. Do what we can. I asked Kyle this the other day. Do you ever say a sentence and then you like mentally hear it back and you're like, wow, that sounded super country. Mm, yeah, I guess I. I more realize that as I'm speaking, yeah. If I'm like, you mean accent wise or like the accent syntax? Wise. Okay, yeah. I mean both. <laughs> I mean, I just said it ain't going to us, but it sounded like it was one word. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I think I feel that way with like Mike could have sort of double modals like that. Mm, I feel yeah. like those are completely hick, but hey, <laughs> you know, can't run away yeah. from where you're from. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining me today as we answered the questions of the people. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. I love these episodes. They're fun, they're chill. I love talking to the folks. So keep them coming, y'all. We'll get to them eventually. We'll get to them. If you have written to us asking for like a a response about, not like a question, but something else, like we're really bad at that. So we may get back (laughs) to you at some point, but sorry. Uh. I try to acknowledge at least every message with like a heart or something. Sometimes I don't always, I should get better about that. If you haven't heard from us though, just know that we love you. You're great. We love you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in today. And you can join us next week on another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye. Bye.